This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody welcome back into a brand new episode of dimming the gaslight my name is mac and thanks for coming in for the newest episode um so i've done two solo episodes in the last two weeks but i'm super excited for this week's guest because a lot of you guys on my instagram page are always asking for narcissistically uh educated and aware lawyers so that's who i am bringing on the show today um, before I get into it, though, uh, I had a kind of a rough week and I just want to do a little intro and tell you guys what's going on with me because uh, I was ranting and raving a little bit on Instagram this week and uh, I think it's necessary to fill you guys in. So um, usually I have dinner dates with my kids on Tuesdays and when we were in court, my neck said that I couldn't have dinner dates with my kids on Thursdays because um, they have therapy. All right. So what ended up happening is this past Tuesday, I had a work event and I could not get my kids for Tuesday. So my lawyer, Brittany Parisi out of Parisi Law Firm in New Jersey, uh, messaged my next's lawyer and said, Mac has a you know work engagement and I can't be there to pick up the kids on Tuesday. And so I would like to switch my time from Tuesday to Thursday. Okay. So I don't see the kids on Tuesday. I did a little phone call with them. And uh, so Thursday comes along and in the morning on Thursday morning, I'm at work and I get a forwarded message from Brittany saying that the Nexus lawyer sent Brittany uh, an email saying that I couldn't get the kids on Thursday. Okay. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? Like, that's not right. Like I should get my kids on Thursday. So then, um, you know, I wrote, I said to Brittany, I said, the only reason I'm not getting my kids on Thursday is because as you may remember, um, my next signed the kids up for sports on Thursday, um, and they have sports. So I wasn't able to see them. So I told Brittany, I was like, that's not a reason to forego my parental time. I was like, I need to see my kids. Right. Um, and so Brittany wrote that back to my next's lawyer and the next's lawyer said, um, you know, uh, she basically said she wasn't going to tell us why I couldn't see them on Thursday. They were just unavailable, which I'm their parent. They can't just tell me my kids aren't available. I need to know what's going on. Right. 
So um, we said, listen, that's not a reason to forego it. And if you guys don't allow him to see the kids on Thursday, unfortunately, and this is not a position I want to put my kids in, but I will get police assistance and I will go to the soccer field where my kid is playing with the police to say, no, you have to let this man see his kids, right? So, and then I added at the end of the letter, by the way, when we were in court, you said that I couldn't have expanded parenting time with the kids on Thursday because of therapy. And so my nexus lawyer wrote back and said, well, the kids do have therapy and that's why they're not going, right? So what did I do? If you listen to past episodes, um, the kids therapist won't communicate with me. And I filed an insurance claim with her, but I went ahead and I just went out on a limb and I texted the kid's therapist and I said, did the kids have therapy today? And I got one word back from the therapist, no. So the next slide, okay, there's no therapy. So she's literally keeping the kids away from me to go to a soccer practice or baseball or whatever the hell it is that I never agreed to, okay? So I had no choice. Uh, oh, and then we also, we messaged back the the Nexus lawyer and we said, you know, we we reached out to the therapist and you just lied in print and, you know, this will come up to court, you know, this will come up to the judge when the time comes. So um, I took my court order. I went to the police station in Pleasantville and I said, I, you know, broke down the story for them and they never even looked at the police order. They said, you know, does it say Thursday? And I said, no, it's a technicality. I understand it's a technicality, but the kids are at a soccer field right now playing where she's the coach. And as I'm standing there in the police station, my phone rings and it's my son and my daughter FaceTiming me. Okay. So I pick up the phone and it's my son and my daughter and they say, oh, we're down at the lake. You know, if you've listened to all the way back in the beginning of the podcast, I talk about Snake Lake and the lake that, you know, my kids belong to. And my daughter goes, Daddy, we're going, we're at the lake right now and we're on our way to baseball practice or whatever it is. Right. So um, I was like, and I literally, I'm like going to the cop. I'm like, guys, like, what the fuck? Do something. Do something. And they're like, well, we can't just go and take the kids away. And so they called the next and the next is like, yeah, we're not available. The little fucking coward, she fled instead because I was going to take either the cops to the house to get my kids or I was going to take them to the soccer field. So she went to the lake to hide and then brought them to soccer or baseball, whatever the hell it is. Um, so I was furious. I was I have been through so much because of the Pleasantville police station. I just kind of fucking let him have it. And I was like, listen, you guys are facilitating parental alienation. You are allowing a true abuser to kidnap my children. And I was furious and not for nothing. I haven't been this furious for a long time about my whole situation, but it lasted a solid two days of just real anger. And I apologize to anybody who's listening or following me. I made a really off color post on Instagram um, about the police. And I'm sorry, it just came from a point of just being fed the fuck up. And I deleted it. Um, I'm just frustrated. And a lot of you guys reached out and you said, listen, you know, with the circumstances you're going through, we can't blame you for being mad. But I'm mad, man. I'm mad. And I get it. Like there's these technicalities and these loopholes that the neck, you know, the, the narcissist spine in order to keep your kids away. So I'm frustrated as hell. And uh, yeah, so 
Um, my anger is kind of wearing off. This is two or three days ago and my anger is kind of wearing off. And now I just feel, you know, when my anger wears off, I feel sad. It's like the magnitude of the situation just bringing me down. But, um, so yeah, that's what happened to me this week. And again, I have trial again this Thursday. I'm afraid of like hyping it up because I don't want it to not happen again, but we all want to know what the resolution is going to be. And as, as far as I know, I mean, all we're going to do is cross examine her and, uh, Brittany and I are so prepared for that. this. I mean, we've been prepared for months now. So anyway, that's where I'm at. Um, I, As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I have a great guest for you guys today. Um, everybody's always asking about, you know, a trauma and narcissist-informed uh, legal representation. And um, I was able to link up with a lawyer in California. And I actually was able to meet up with her in New York City and I had a cup of coffee with her and she is the real deal. This is just a badass woman uh, who knows all about narcissism and uh, I think this episode turned out great. So check it out. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So I am super stoked for this guest that I'm bringing on today. It's really cool how this community really bands together. Back, oh man, long time ago on one of my early podcasts, I did an interview with high conflict divorce coaches and their names were been there, got out. If my memory serves me correctly, I believe it was like episode 11 or so. Anyway, um, recently been there, got out, tagged me in a post about parental alienation. And they also tagged my guest that I'm bringing on today in that post. Um, this is a practicing lawyer that practices in LA, California. Her name is Pedita Jamfari, attorney Pedita Trabari. Pedita, can you say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So when we connected on Instagram, you have one of the coolest like catchphrases that you came up with, and it's from captivity to survivor. How did you come up with that that topic? Can you tell us a little bit about that slogan? Well, I'm actually a practicing attorney for 20 years, and I represent a lot of high-conflict divorces. And recently, um, I've been writing a book to get published, and so I'm thinking about different titles. And in that process, I came up with From Captivity to Survivor because in a narcissistic, abusive, uh, toxic relationship, that's kind of what it is. I mean, the sure. innocent, the innocent spouse, spouse is, you know, captive, a sort of a prisoner to the narcissist and the whims and wants and desires of the narcissist. So I thought that was a clever title for the book. So I thought we'd use it here for our podcast as well. It's super clever. I absolutely love it. Um, can you tell us? Uh, okay, so. I was mentioning to you during like a little offline conversation before we get on, got on that I can drill down in my analytics and see where the majority of my listeners are coming from. And in the United States, the most of my listeners are coming from California. So um, because you practice in California, I wanted to hear a little bit about your background so the listeners know, uh, you know, a little bit more about you. Okay, so I'm a graduate of Southwestern University School of Law. I received my bachelor's in communication studies and minor in psychology from Loyola Marymount University. While I was at, in law school, I actually was a judicial extern for a judge, and I clerked with the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office 
and a special unit handling child rape and molestation cases. So I have a very particular niche in that area of the law that most divorce attorneys don't have. And I've been an attorney, only a family law and divorce for 20 years in Los Angeles and Orange County. So yes, pretty much, Mac, I've seen it all and heard it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to talk about high conflict. It doesn't get much higher conflict than rape and molestation cases. Talk about some of the high conflict divorces that you see in L.A. and Orange County some of your experiences. Yeah, I mean, you know, we represent sort of the high net worth of clients and we do see, we do tend to see a lot of narcissists in that, um, you know, sort of uh, demographics. You know, you have the doctors, the lawyers, um, you know, sort of the entrepreneurs that can hide money because now they're not W-2 employees where you, you can verify you have to really go in and look at their um, business records and hire forensics. So it does get very, very granular in those types of cases. But we also represent, um, you know, moms that, you know, can't afford our fees. And we do, you know, a lot of pro bono work as well. So um, we have a, a large percentage of high conflict cases, but then we also do mediation and collaborative law. Um, although, like we said before, I think we were talking, those don't pertain to the narcissist, right? Because we know that narcissists don't, they don't want to mediate. They can't, they like the chaos. Um, they like to fight for things they don't even want. So mediation and collaborative law wouldn't work well for those types of clients. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, no, I totally, you made me giggle with that one because yeah, mediation is a lost cause. Worst waste of like two grand I ever spent. Um, Can you tell me about your kind of come to Jesus moment when you discovered narcissism? Was it amongst your clients? Was it a personal experience? What brought you to narcissism? Okay, that's a great question. Um, And and I usually don't get personal, but I'll get a little personal with your uh, viewers. So about five years ago um, was around the time that I met my ex, my my current husband, and um, he was dealing with post-divorce issues. And I, to me, that was really bizarre because he had been, you know, divorced for eight years. So I thought, well, what are these post-separate, you know, what's going on? So in helping him kind of figure it all out and getting a new attorney for him, um, his case was in New York. I sort of was reading stuff that just wasn't making sense to me, right? I was like, what is this ex-wife of yours talking about, you know? And and so I started to really delve into, um, you know, through social media and look at this concept of narcissism. And even though I have a psychology background, it's, I mean, I don't remember it, right, from like 25 years ago when I was right. in, at Loyola. So... I really looked into it and I kept saying, 
oh my gosh, this is like narcissistic behavior. And my my current husband, who I was just dating at the time, was like, you need to stop saying that word. And I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. But like, and that's like, what, to your point, your come to Jesus moment, once you know, then you can't unknow it. I've said that a thousand times on this podcast. Once you know it, you once you learn this stuff, you can't unlearn it. Like I could never have imagined I discovered narcissism while I was in the relationship, but I could never have imagined once I knew it, like continuing down that path. And I know some people do. I've interviewed somebody on this podcast who did, but like, it's, it's weird. You can't unlearn it. And I'm so glad you just said that. And so in the course of the five years, I mean, again, he had his own attorney and his New York, you know, hotshot attorney, but in reading a lot of the documents, it just, it was like, it was almost like I was reading about somebody else because the person that I was, you know, dating now and falling in love with and planning a future just was not the person that was being described. And so, um, so I got to see a lot of like the parental alienation. And then I got to meet the, his, you know, his children, which is three wonderful boys that are now my, my sons through marriage. And so it just sort of, it just sort of came together and, it's interesting because I never used those words, obviously, with, you know, with my, my, my stepkids, but the oldest one said to me last summer, um, I think my mom's a narcissist. Wow. And, I, and it, I literally like, I almost like fell to the ground because I said to him, I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, you know, she's got all the symptoms. And I said, well, what are the symptoms? You know, kind of like, how yeah, do you, yeah. and he, he's, he's 23, so I can talk to him, you know, as an adult, but I was like, well, what are the symptoms? And he just listed them and he said, I've been reading about this and this is my discovery. And I said, okay, well, you never heard it from us, right? And he was like, no, no, no. And my step boys don't, they don't even know what I do. They, one of them thinks I'm an English teacher. I mean, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't want to know because they don't want to be asked by her. So all that to say that that's in the last five years. And then I started to go back and look at clients that I had that were problem clients and it started to make sense. It's like, oh, okay. And, you know, as a practitioner, I don't want to ever label anyone. So I just say that they're toxic or other cluster B personality disorders. But in the last five years with my own practice, I've been very careful not to take on those types of toxic, narcissistic, cluster B personality disorders because now I can't unknow what right. I've learned. Totally. And and it's funny. Like, I love the fact that you just told that story because for the listener's sake, you can tell that it's uh, uh, the issue is very near and dear to your heart because you've experienced it and you've seen it, you know, outsider looking in and then also, oh, sorry, I just hit my computer. You've seen it outsider looking in, but then you've also experienced it firsthand so knowing what you know right like going back to those baby problem clients for example did some of them unnecessarily fight for things that like maybe they didn't even want or were they just throwing out allegations that never came to fruition and maybe couldn't disprove what are some of the examples of maybe clients that have been with you or clients that have been against you that you've seen narcissistic behavior well um you know Recently, we got a client that was saying, you know, that, you know, she doesn't want the father of her child to have visitation. And so that for me is a red flag because I want to know what is the reason. Now, we because we deal with child abuse and molestation cases, 
like unless it's documented through a hospital a doctor you know some type of expert in the medical field like I can't just take your word for it. And, you know, there's a Russian proverb that says, trust but verify. Love and that. so I want to trust my, you know, this person has walked through my door from the street, but I have to verify. So we will not take on any type of clients that we think are problem clients, wow. uh, not, you know, documented. And a lot of times on social media, the, our followers that know our firm, they they will testify to that. They'll like literally write in the comment like, no, 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 this, you know, she won't accept every client. And so oh wow, we do a lot of um, pre-screening before we accept the client. But to your point, before I really delved into narcissism, previously, you know, I was a new attorney, right, for, for 15 years. So, um, you know, we'd take on clients and then, you know, was one client came to, to court one day and brought like a 40 page document. He said, what is this? And he said, you know, I wrote down every single thing I want from the house and I went room to room to room to room. And I said, okay, but why do you have like under the kitchen sink comment? You know, comment? Yeah. And I was like, why do you have this? And he's like, well, I want half of everything because it's going to cost me more money to buy. And I, and I just looked at him and I just thought, I said, it's costing you more money now. Can sit here with me and talk about this bullshit. Go buy the three ninety nine comment and shut but the hell up. People like that, like in looking back, people that just will not let go. It's like they want the grand piano, but they don't know how to play piano. It's like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I you know, I had a guest on this podcast and he was great. His name was Kevin Hastings. I can't remember his the uh the episode, but before he ever did the episode with me, I talked about it on a, on a podcast how I was struggling with coming to grips with the fact that like I I got a restraining order on me and I moved out of my house and I always thought I would get my material possessions back. And Kevin had heard that podcast and he just sent me a DM and he's like, "Hey, I'd like to talk some sense into you." And he literally, I talked to this guy for an hour and he was just basically telling me he's like, "Is like comment." For example, is that worth your sanity? It's like your old school Nintendo. Is that like worth your sanity? He's like, you have this clean blank slate that you can completely build on. And why would you even want those things that are attached to your past life? You know what I mean? Like you need to be able to walk away. Yes. And I say that to clients all the time. I say, let me get you some um lump sum money so you can go buy all new things and you with your new life because really that's what it is it's a new life that you're building with yourself and your child or your children so why would you want the old marital bed that's like bad juju right oh i love how you say you take the words right out of my mouth i love that or you know like i remember here's a great example like um when when i got engaged with my now husband um, you know, he had this silverware that was kind of nice. And I was like, okay, where did this one day I said to him, where did this silverware come from? And he said, well, you know, it was from my old house and he didn't have, he didn't take much either, but he's, the silverware he, he was able to take because they had multiple homes. And I said, we're throwing these out. We're getting new silverware yeah. because I don't want to use the same fork that anyone from your past used. And so he was like, come on, these are great. Off. The men are like very practical, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
come on, don't make me do this. And it was funny because we went to see our friends in, in Virginia the, the following weekend. And he's like, she's making me get rid of the silverware. <laughs> and, and, and the girl, the girlfriend, she totally understood. But so we, her and I went out, we bought all new silverware from Pottery Barn, you know, and. <laughs> And so all that to say that, you know, sometimes men are a little bit more practical. So they're like, well, why can't I have the second set of X, Y, Z? And with a narcissist, it's like they don't want to lose control. The whole image of them is control. So the fact of just giving you even a spoon is like they're relinquishing control. And so they don't want to do that. So it's not definitely not about the pots and pans and silverware. It's just about, you know about losing control and it was because yeah. he even said to me my husband he said she didn't know i took these and well we can send them back now you know? no no because you know what the thing is is that no i bet you like whenever she finds out that he took that shit uh she's not gonna say that she knows that he took that stuff but he she's gonna make him emotionally and psychologically pay for it you know yeah, what i mean of course like, look at it she's not gonna let him know that he has it but yeah, like everything they make hard. And, and I don't know what that is. I mean, I've heard a thousand times even bad attention is good attention for them. But yeah. it gets a little bit more difficult, a lot more difficult when it comes down to co-parenting. Because they believe that, you know, the children are theirs, the home is theirs, the cars are theirs, the assets are theirs. Everything is theirs. What are some of the best practices for the listeners, I mean, as terms in terms of co-parenting with narcissists? Well, I want to say one thing, and I just want to correct you. What is not theirs is the liabilities and the debts. That is not theirs. But everything else is theirs. You're absolutely right. But the debts and the liabilities, no, that has to go with you. But if you're <laughs> the husband or 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 the wife, we have a situation now where my client is, is a female and she paid for the furniture. And so she's like, either can I get the furniture or can you pay off the furniture? Like, I'm not even asking for, you know, and so he like won't pay for it and he won't give it to her. So all that to say that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, we're very neutral. Um, we're gender neutral at our firm, but they don't accept the debts and the liability. Of course so not. No. That, no, that's always your problem. But yeah, so segueing into co-parenting, I mean, like, because they believe the children are theirs for sure. Yeah. How do you advise your clients about co-parenting with narcissists? Well, um, we don't advise co-parenting because that just does not work. We okay. we um we advise them to parallel co parallel parent, which basically means that the mom gets to do X Y Z during her time with the child, and then the dad gets to do X Y and Z. With his time. So, for instance, if you have one week on, one week off, during that week, if you want to put your child in gymnastics, that's fine. You pay for it and you put your child in gymnastics. Do you see what I'm saying? And then if she says, I want to put violin, then that's okay. She puts them in violin and so on and so forth. And we try to stress not too many activities, okay? Because the point is you don't want to be lugging the kids around, right? Because like, what if you get sick? Now you have to ask the other parent, like, will you take the kid? And they'll be like, F you, I'm not taking the kid. I sign up the kid. This is your problem. This is your issue. So we just, you know, there's, I know that there's some parents that really do like a hundred activities with their child. You can't do that with a narcissist. You have to really limit it to one or two just on your parenting time. So 
everything has to be parallel parenting. Like, for instance, if you take your child to get, you know, get their teeth cleaned, it has to be on your time. You can't expect that from the other parent because they're not going to do it. And then who suffers? The child suffers. So we always say, keep the child first. Um, when I go to court, I have pictures, you know, I ask my client if it's okay, but I have pictures of their child on my folder and then down, you know, I say, we got to keep the child first because you're going to want something that might be reasonable under the law, but we can't go back and forth and fight about this because really your child's going to suffer at the end of the day. And we have heard from narcissists, um, their children later on that, Every time they had court, the narcissist had court, the child suffered. Like the child knew that there was some kind of chaos or, uh, you know, randomness or blow up from the mom or the dad that was a narcissist. And so we know that the kids suffered in silence, right? Because they don't have a voice in the court system. So to answer your question, it's not co-parent, it's parallel parent. And just be very cognizant that your child unless your child is going to be the violin, like the best violinist in the world, like keep it calm. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, Oh my God, I can't put my child in gymnastics. Okay. Is your child going to be a gymnast? Like, Oh, you know, in the Olympics, like just calm down. Like there's, you know, when your child gets older, you can put them in this. So I just, that's how I think about it. I think it's better to lessen the drama than to, you know, have your child be in a hundred activities. Yeah. You know, why, in your opinion, why do you think it is that the narcissist doesn't care about the repercussions of the emotional stress that's being placed on the child? What's your opinion about that? Why do, why do they seemingly not care? Well, to be a narcissist and have narcissistic personality disorder you have a mental co condition. So it's a mental illness. It's just like having, you know, it's just like if somebody is blind, you mm -hmm. the person is blind, so they need a walking stick. If somebody has cancer, they have cancer. They have a medical condition. When somebody um, has narcissistic personality disorder, this is an actual mental condition. And so you're asking somebody that's mentally ill to do X, Y, and Z. And so they cannot, by the nature of their illness, put anyone before themselves. They cannot put their child before themselves. They cannot put their parents before themselves. They can't put their dog before themselves. They can't, they can't do it. They, by nature of the illness, they lack empathy. So when you lack empathy, even though you see your child suffering, you lack empathy. You're like, get over it. This is your father's doing this or your mother's doing. Yeah. And so they kind of, they kind of treat the child just like, you know, I, I say. Um, Casualty of war. They treat yeah. it like their collateral damage. Well, I say like once you're in that narcissistic, um, I call it like Charlotte's web in my book. It's like a Charlotte's web. It's like a web. And you're like kind of stuck in that web and you're like trying to move around. But they are, you know, I say this to my husband all the time, like. This person is like Bobby Fisher. Like all she does is sit there and move chess pieces around. I mean, she's the type of person that comes to a wedding that she's not invited to 
in like a black tie wedding in jeans just to embarrass our son. Who's I'm, surprised, like, I'm surprised she doesn't wear a white wedding, wedding dress. <laughs> I'm I'm sure for the boys, if we have three um, boys, I'm sure she will. I'm, you know, it's like it's like that movie. Um, you reminded me, Monster in Love, which uh, Jennifer Lopez. Yes, yeah. Like she, the you know, the, Jean Fonda came with the white wedding dress, and she was like, "How could you? Did you not let me?" And that's just narcissistic um, behavior. And and to be honest with you, I have no doubts that she will do that because it's going to be about her. And at this wedding that she came at St. Patrick's Cathedral, uh, Park Avenue, you know, in in uh, New York, she came and she was in jeans and she was not invited. She was purposely not invited. So we were there and our youngest boy was there. He's, he's 19 and he's six foot three, so he's not so little. And, you know, she came just to embarrass him. And it was like, Whoa, you know, and I was gracious, of course, but, you know, asked her to sit with us and I'm going to always, you know, put the child before myself. So, um, but that's what you do as a parent, but a narcissistic parent never considers their child. I mean, their child is just an accessory of an, an accessory, just like her Louis Vuitton bag that she brought, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not like this would embarrass my child. I shouldn't do this. I'm not invited, you know. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. I mean, they, of course, they always have to put themselves first and they also have to play this altruistic, virtuous, you know, like my next, uh, you know, she signs herself up as the coach of the kids sporting events during my parenting time. You know what I mean? So like, so now if I go and I don't let my kids play sports, well, then, uh, you know, she's the coach. It makes her look bad so she could throw it back on me. It's not the truth and it's just craziness. And I'll get into that more on another episode of the podcast. But um, I wanted to talk to you because a lot of my story is largely about parental alienation. And I'm sure as, you know, a practicing attorney, you have a lot of experience in cases where, you know, perhaps a loving parent did nothing wrong, uh, but they had to kind of have to they're guilty until proven innocent. And I said that right. You know what I mean? So they kind of have to go through the court system and prove their innocence. So can you tell us a little bit about for the listeners who, who may be looking for an attorney, what is your experience with parental alienation and how do you combat something like that? Well, well, this is a long story, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, some groups don't believe in parental alienation and I don't know. I haven't really sat down with them to understand why, because to me, that's just lunacy. Um, we know that narcissists, they alienate their child from the other parent. It doesn't matter if the narcissist is a father or the mother. And so they alienate the child from the other parent. If you don't want to call it parental alienation and you want to just call it alienation, I'm fine with that. But whatever you want to label it, we know that it happens. Well, the problem is that people want to segment this into a gender thing. And I want to go on the record on this podcast. You and I talked about this offline. I personally stand with all women. I personally stand with all men. Okay. I believe all victims. Okay. Yes. It's a bit of a slippery slope because my next believe that she's a victim and you can't believe her. But, you know, you just mentioned there are some groups out there who think, you know, um, keeping kids away from a, a parents is the right thing to do and the just thing to do. Um, but, the cases that I'm talking about, yeah, there are bad parents out there who beat and molest and rape their kids. And sure, 
I'm talking about the good parent. I'm talking about the good parent who is unnecessarily being kept away from their child and they love their child and all they're doing is trying to fight to get back to them. And there's these groups out there who are saying that doesn't exist. And parental alienation is real. I'm going to go on record as saying it is very real because I know of what I experienced and it's very sad. I don't know what the terminology that they're using is that, you know, parental alienation doesn't exist. I don't give it, I'll be honest, I don't give it much time of day because I staunchly disagree. But um, yeah, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. To answer your question, I mean, alienation, we know that that, we know that that occurs. We've seen it in our practice over the last 20 years um, where one parent is just jockeying for more and more time and more and more time doesn't mean that they're actually spending time with their child no they rather have a, a housekeeper or a nanny with their child instead of the father or the mother and so we've seen this so you can call it or label it anything you want and if parental alienation is a trigger word then just call it alienation or call it a ghost or name it whatever you want but we we know that that exists because we've seen it firsthand and so your question was how do we help our clients we really strongly believe in having the child or children in therapy because a therapist can testify on behalf of the child we believe in minors counsel but you have to be careful if you're getting minors counsel you have to be on the correct side of the law okay sometimes people get minors counsel and the minors counsel buys into the narcissist story right because we mm -hmm. know the narcissist is very charming they're loving people especially the coverts right and so the minors counsel does it sometimes see through that right they go well this is like the best parent like parent of the year i call narcissist parent parent of the year so if i see that you know i'll be like oh he's father of the year now he wants to be at every single sporting event when he didn't do anything previously or mother here now oh look she's baking cookies and taking it to pta but yet she's you know abusing the child mentally abusing the child and so you know We've seen that, right? They come to every every event. They're they're late, but they come, and everybody loves them. And you're just sitting there going, someday, someday, they were going to know everything that I know about you. And it's not. It's my job to keep my side of the street clean, which is what we tell all of our clients, and just to hold your peace. Because if you don't hold your peace, what happens is they win. Because you sound like the crazy one. You sound like you are the one that's alienating because you're talking about them. You see what I'm saying? So you almost have to do a reverse psychology when you're dealing with a narcissist in a divorce case. So you have to just play nice, but then just beat them. You know, beat them at, their, at the game. And, you know, we talked about this earlier offline. Get transcripts. You know, if you know that they're lying yep. for the transcripts. You know, you can impeach someone with um, prior testimony. Um, also, evaluations. You know, in California, we do um, 3111 evaluations where a, a, an actual doctor will come in and um, as a therapist and will um, will interview the children separately and the parents and then the whole family dynamic and so on and so forth. So, but again you have to be a little bit careful because you can't do that in every narcissist case because if the person's really a covert that's 
you're going to just shoot yourself in the foot to do that, right? Because they're going to be able to fool that person. So even doctors or whatever. So you have to strategize and we do that case by case basis. Sometimes we say, no, we don't want an evaluator. You know, if the, if the child's 15 and in California it's 18 is the age where, you know, you don't have to pay um, support. We say, no, 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 no. You know, going through a, a year long evaluation does not make sense for this case. And we don't want to spend our clients money um, frivolously. So we have to deal case by case. If the child's young, and there's been, you know, abuse, then we need to get a third party that's neutral. Right. Oof. I mean, that's that's heavy stuff. And it's funny. I mean, you're you're speaking a lot about things that I'm going through. You know, like I have my kids are in therapy. And uh, because of the restraining order that my next placed on me, um, I my my visitation obviously got very limited. So I was no longer allowed to bring my children to therapy where I was before. So then um, the therapist stopped communicating with me about the children's diagnosis and the progress and all that stuff. Um, and I went six months without hearing from the kid's therapist, consistently messaging, messaging, messaging. And um, I got to a point, I just wrote, why aren't you answering me? And she wrote back this scathing thing about, I don't have to answer you because of the restraining order and you're not bringing the children, so I don't have to answer you. And I was like, wow. And then the next day I got a letter from my Nexus attorney saying that I was uh, like patronizing the kid's therapist. And I was like, well, I got screenshots of the six months I've been trying to get in touch with this lady and her just denying me. So it, it's I love the way you're speaking right now because you can really tell you get it. For the listeners who are looking for an attorney who understands narcissism, you're really speaking, you're touching on my heartstrings right now, because I can really tell that you get it. Yes. And you know what? You, you sometimes have to play, you know, you have to, you, if you know the game, but you know, we know the game, then you have to play smart, right? Right. Yeah. Play smart. You can't get triggered. And my husband and I talk about this, like, let's not get triggered. Right. Because we know she's going to do X, Y, Z. do not get triggered. We tell our clients that like a lot of times they'll sit in court and I'll just tell my client to breathe right. and they'll, and they know what that means. It means just take a breath. Like, do I don't believe anything this person is saying, the narcissist is saying. So don't think that I believe it. Like I'm on your team and I'm on your side, but it's like, um, you know, my friend, the one that you just referenced, um, Lisa and Chris from been there, got out. They call them sweetie pies. You know, they mm-hmm. call their, um, their listenership and their followers and their clients, sweetie pies. And that's, I feel like that's who you re- represent as well. Like we always want to be on the right side of the law. Um, I didn't mention this, but I'm running for judgeship in the next five to 10 years. So I don't want to represent a narcissist who's also going to turn against me because I'm going to always make sure that the narcissist is doing the right thing. And by nature, they don't want to do the right thing. Wow. You know what? So I just thought of this question. What do you think it would take in the legal system for narcissism to be like, because we all know, like, you know, the legal system is broken. We say it all the time. What do you think it would take for this to get more noticed, for this to get eradicated, for there to be consequences? What do you think it would take? So 
Well, that's a great question. That's like the million dollar question. Right. Yeah. If more judges um, would hold these types of people accountable, like, you know, would say, okay, like in, in, in California, we have this thing called family code um, 271. And that's where if the other party is not acting um, under the confines of the law, you can ask for attorney's fees. Yep. So I don't know what it is in other states, but every state I'm sure has this type of thing. But judges don't really want to um, give sanctions, right? They don't want to put someone in, in jail. They don't want to ask, tell someone, you have to pay $500. You have to pay $1,000 for lying on the stand. And but you so caused all this stuff. Like you ruined somebody. I'm almost $100,000 in debt yes. in the last 18 months because of false allegations. So like, if they don't want to, if they don't want to have to pay for it, then don't make the allegations. Right. But so your question is, how do we kind of change the system? And I think, I mean, this is going to sound a little uh, self-serving, but people like myself that are practitioners that are aware of narcissism, that are um, basically preaching to other people that are maybe not aware of it, um, writing books, getting on blogs, these podcasts that you're doing are invaluable. Um, you know, been there, got out, just has a book signing, which I think I actually invited you to. Um, yeah, we're going to meet up in New York, hopefully. Yes. So, yeah. um, so in two weeks. So all that to say is, you know, it's got to change sort of with the new generation of lawyers, practitioners, therapists, um, podcasters, social media, because like the old timers, it's going to be hard to change, right? That yeah. type of you know, that type of judge. But um, also another thing is, man, you know, a lot of times narcissists will find their own attorneys are also narcissists. Because if you think about it, now you have two narcissists that you're fighting. So I do. Yep. I sure shit do. So while my clients are fighting with their ex, I'm fighting with the new with their attorney, the attorney. So it's like a battle. And I'm telling you, it's not a battle that I will ever lose because I write like paragraphs and paragraphs, paragraphs. Like, actually, it was funny because a lot of times, you know, narcissists project, right? So I had this situation where last month I had a new client and she's she's a little bit younger, you know, and she's kind of learning about narcissism. So first person that gave, um, been there, got out their, their book was to her. And it was interesting because as soon as she became my client, the attorney just bombarded me with emails. And the first email, um, that his side wrote to me was, you know, this, this is like, you know, parental alienation. So I can tell you, honestly, 10 emails went back and forth about this. And I was like, I want you to understand that your words matter and there's no parental alienation. And then I attached my clients, like she literally was so great because she she kept like um, a calendar of, you know, when he would see the child. And so in January, February, he barely saw the child, but in March he started to see him because court was, you know, ramping up. Wow. And so 
I was like, here's the evidence of when your client who could have seen the child at any point saw the child. But January, he was too busy out with his, you know, vacationing with his boys. And so, and I said, one of the things I said in bold, I said, words matter. Do not come back at this firm and say parental alienation unless you have evidence. Like, if you have evidence of it, I'm fine with it. Just show me the evidence. Right. And so then she came back with, like, my client. I was begging to see i was like lady you're, you're like this is yeah so my my client was like my mom and i sat there we were drinking wine laughing about these emails and i i told her i said i'm not charging you for them but i had to let them know i had to let this attorney this younger attorney know that words matter and not to go back and forth back and forth about nonsense like and so Anyway, she said, she said, we were having, we were just, she's like, we were just waiting for the next email. And, but now the attorneys calm down because she realizes that we don't play. Right. Play. Totally. You know, it's funny. Yeah, like, so my own attorney, Brittany Parisi out of Parisi Law Firm in New Jersey, we laugh all the time because I tell Brittany, like, we get these messages and I'm like, is this just a pissing contest to see who can piss farther? Or like, is this really going to have any ramifications and be brought up in court? If it's not, have at it. Call them every name in the book. Rip them apart. Call her a narcissist to her face. Rip them apart. I was like, if this is going to be shown in court, rip them apart legally. Tear right. down line by line, each fabrication, each lie, and go in on them and be like, oh, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And when we get in front of the judge, they're going to see the evidence. So it's funny. I'm going to talk about this in some of the upcoming podcasts, but... My next, because she already testified twice, and we have the transcripts of both testifies. Um, I can't imagine she thinks it went well. So she's ramping up the allegations now in order to kind of like cover her ass. And it's it's too late. You know, she doesn't have a leg to stand on. And now that I've actually heard her testimony and I know I have an alibi for everything, I'm like, get it all out. Get it all out. Get it all out now because when the floor drops out from under you, and it will drop out from under you, you are going to have no leg to stand on. I promise you that. Yeah. I think, you know, having, like you said before, having the right attorney, having an attorney that believes you. I mean, that's what I did with my, with my, you know, with my current husband. You know, I found an attorney that was empathetic and was, you know, listening. She didn't know about narcissism and I was just learning myself. So I was kind of telling her, but, you know, courts don't like it when you say words like gaslight or narcissist, narcissist or parental alienation. I've been hurt. Those are all taboo words. I know yeah, we can't so say it, but we got to give the examples of it. Yes. Yeah, so you have to give examples of like, you know, I, I, she wouldn't let me see the, the child on this date and this was her reason why. And then I found out that, no, the child wasn't sick. You know what I'm saying? Right. The child is sick. Let me take the child to the dust. Yes. It's very simple. It's not a difficult concept. It's no. like, I'm the other parent, you know, 50-50. Right. And you and you're, when I have visitation, it's 100% me. And 0% you because I have the child now that I have to be responsible for. So it's like, why do you have to be the only one to take the child to therapy, to gymnastics? Dentist appointments, yeah. everything. Yeah, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, uh, 
you know, like I said, you really, really get it. The way you're talking, you're you're pulling on my heartstrings a lot here because I can tell you really get it. Um, something that I wanted to segue into is that before we got online and, and reviewing a lot of the content on your social media, you are a very large advocate for fathers, for alienated fathers, because it's kind of a uh, novelty, I guess you can call it, when men come forward, because let's be honest, the majority of narcissists are men, and I'm fully aware of that. Um, but because my listenership is is about 70 to 80% women, depending on the week, um, I wanted to kind of talk to the men for a little bit. And um, what is your position on men's rights when it comes to divorce and parental alienation and fighting for divorce and all that kind of stuff? Well, I think, you know, the thing about men is most of our clients are female. So let me just say that even though we, we represent men and women, but most of our clients are, are, are female, they're women. Um, but, you know, because of my own personal experience, which I shared on your podcast that I've never shared before, oh, um, you know, I have a certain, um, you know, my, my heartstrings, you know, get pulled because I saw what I saw, you know, with my, with what happened with my, with my husband. And so, um, it really, really hit home for me that it is a silent killer for men. See, men don't get to, you had somebody on your podcast who actually was listening to some of your podcasts today with, with my assistant, um, who talked about that. Um, he was saying how, you know, men can't speak on this because they're supposed to sort of man up, right? Which mm -hmm. I hate that word. I absolutely oh, I hate, it too. hate that word because why can't a man say, this is what's happening. I'm being ostracized. I can't see my child. I can't go to um, the dentist with my child. I can't go to the sports with my child. What What is happening? But when men speak up, it's like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so, you know, she's always been this like this, mm -hmm. you know, and it's sort of like brushed under the rug. And a lot of, you know, I believe a lot of these um, deaths or um, suicides with men do happen because of a, like a divorce or underlying a narcissistic relationship. And you find that out later where the guy will write a, a letter and say, look, I was in the middle of a divorce or she, I, I was trying to divorce her, but she won't let me, you know? So because I have personal experience with that, I like to speak up for those people because I feel that there are victims, some of them. Now we know that some are covert, some are overt, some are malignant, but it, you know, that's why I like to speak up for them. But um, generally speaking, we're very um, neutral, gender neutral. We don't believe in sexism. We don't believe. We want to know from the onset what type of client are we getting. And the client should know about us. The client should know that we are going to advocate for 50-50 rights when we have a willing, able, um, you know, father that is there and present. I'm not going to advocate for that. And, you know, and I tell my clients too that are women, I say, or moms, they say, just realize that if the father is abusive, since I have a background in child abuse and molestation, I would never put your child in harm's way. Like, that would be, that would be idiotic. Right. Said, so even my moral compass wouldn't allow that. But if you're saying that the dad is abusive, tell me about the abuse. And if it's genuine, let's document it. If it's not genuine, then you really 
like, how can I argue this in front of a judge? You and turn abusive. If if there's no real abuse, then the par the parent claiming abuse is turns actually abusive. Correct. You know, absolutely. Yes, because they're the ones that are doing the abuse. Right. Because keeping a child from any parent is abuse because you can give your children something that the mom can't give them and vice versa. And so a child needs both parents or in a gay marriage, both fathers or both mothers. So mm -hmm. we really do believe that, you know, a child needs both parents and you know, unless you could argue why, I mean, we have cases where right now where the child is too young, is really young. And so, you know, there was a case, I think that came out in Oregon where the mom was saying, I breastfeed my child and the child's like three. And, you know, people, we posted that on our social media, people were like, well, you know, the mom should be able to breastfeed. And I said, absolutely. But the dad should also have visitation rights like yeah she, she on her boob like the entire day like how does this work right but it's not like the father can't see his child because the mother's breastfeeding put it in a bottle work it yeah. out it's a yeah comfort, it's a comfort thing not a necessity thing i'm sorry some people might be listening to this and being like come on mac but no it's that's a comfort thing for the child and that's really on you I think the child was one and a half or two and mom was saying well my first child was breastfed until three and i'm like doesn't the child have teeth at that point? I mean, right. I'm thinking, like, this is crazy. Like, just put it in a box. But, like, there was a lot of groups that came after us and were like, well, how can you say? And I'm like, because I believe that although the child deserves the, the breast milk, which I'm in agreement with, it can be bottled for the times when the, like, the child's... There's the other avenues. It doesn't yeah. have to be just that way. You know, like, it, listen, I've said this a thousand times on this podcast, is that I sincerely do not believe that my kids are better off with my necks, right? I sincerely don't believe that. However, I'm fully aware that my kids will always have one mother and they will always have one father. Regardless of either of us getting other relationships, you will always have one mother and you will always have one father. And I know what seeing a parent in a negative light will do to a child. So I try <laughs> very hard not to speak negatively about their mother. Um, I try to facilitate comfort and with her and with me, smooth transitions, but it's of the most paramount importance that they see both of us in a good light because 15, 20 years down the line, God forbid they have some like substance abuse problem because they're trying to, you know, soothe themselves because of the trauma that they felt when they were younger there my brain goes on all these awful rabbit holes of how my kids are going to how this is going to matriculate in terms of their trauma and stuff but i can only pray that she does the same because there's no reason the kids when they're with me i show them that i love them more than anything in the world so i don't want them to see either of us in a negative light i really truly don't right but you know i always say this to clients that children especially this day and age are very smart just like my oldest son through marriage you know came and said that to me didn't say it to his father but you know him and i have sort of like a friendship because now he's 24 you know and so he said it to me and and they will find out you know they, they they'll say stuff like she's crazy and i'll say well what does that mean give me an example and i and there's been times where I say, don't say that about your mom, you know? And so, you know, believe me, we 
will put ourselves under a moving bus to protect our child. But you have to realize that the narcissist does not do that. So they don't right. play by the same rules that, nor, you know, non-narcissistic people. I don't want to say normal because then viewers come for me and say, oh my gosh, you know, you are... They're, listen, none of my, my none of my listeners are PC, so don't worry about it. We don't, all curse yeah. and swear and speak our minds, so you're... Coming. You're shaming, you know, we got this... You're shaming the narcissist. And I said, they're evil creatures. Like, of course I'm going to shame them. They, are, they turn people's lives upside down and they don't let go until that Titanic sinks and right. Are you know sweetie pies with them, the innocent with them, and their child, and the dog, and the cat. I mean, they're not happy until everyone is miserable and bankrupt and dead in the gutter. Yeah, I completely feel that. I completely. We have no sympathy for those those types of mentally ill people. Now, there are some guys on social media that they say we're narcissists, but we're in therapy and for the rest of our life, and they're self-aware. They say self-aware. Now, you know, obviously, we're not talking about those people because they're really seeking help. But for the majority of the clients in the high-conflict cases, these people are not seeking help. Yeah. And so they're going to therapy with you to further gaslight you. you know? Yeah, to- oh, uh, therapy is the worst. Don't even get me started on that. Well, I've had two on this podcast. I've had uh, two self-aware narcissists from the male perspective and the female perspective. You guys can go back and listen to them. Um, one was called the nameless narcissist and another was called spirit narc. But I've had uh, both of them on this podcast to kind of explain that. And I left thinking very much almost like a diabetic, right? Like a diabetic needs insulin and these people need empathy and they need, you know, a, a psychological mind switch. And th- the self-aware narcissist is hard to buy into but me being the empath that I am, I try and take them at face value. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so listen, Attorney Jafari, we're coming to the end of the hour, and I'm really, really loving this episode. Um, before I let you go, let's go back to your slogan of from captivity to survivor. How do you help your clients go from captivity to survivor? Well, I think like you said before, number one is just realizing that this divorce process is going to be lengthy, okay? You're getting out of a very difficult marriage. It was. It's not easy. We always say our motto is, it's not easy being married to a narcissist. It's harder to divorce a narcissist, but you still should get a divorce. That's our motto. So the thing is, is that the marriage was difficult, right? And so now they're here in this process of divorce and they're talking to someone like me and I'm a no BS type of person like you are. And I'm telling them and I'm giving them books. Like I'm not asking them to buy books. I'm giving them books. I'm like, go and read this. Take a bath tonight and read this and work on yourself and go to therapy and make sure your child's in therapy. And, you know, I even gave one of my clients a book for her mom. I was like, tell your mom to read this too, because she's too nice to him, you know? <laughs> so, um, but all that to say is that we tell them the divorce process is going to be lengthy. So in California, you can't be legally divorced until six months has passed from the filing of the petition and serving. So we say with a narcissist, it might take two, three, five, 10, 15 years. I mean, it takes a long time. And so, you know, because even after, let's say you settle it in a a year, which is unheard of, but let's say you don't have children and you settle it in a year, 
they're going to be coming back. So there's post-divorce trauma that's going to happen inevitably. Okay. So we say that you've been in captivity. You've been in this sort of cult, um, narcissistic cult, cobweb, um, you know, um, what is it called? Um, Charlotte's Web. Um, we call it the narc circus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in our book, we have a whole, in my book, I have a whole chapter about narc circus, like the narcissist circus. Like you buy a one-way ticket and you can never leave like Hotel California. Like you never leave. And so then we tell them like, it's going to be a process of, you know, this evolution of you finding your healing. Um, let me worry about your, the crazy ex. Let me worry about the crazy lawyer. Um, I will get you through the legal process, but there will be frivolous motions. There will be allegations of violence, domestic violence. There, you know, I read, uh, we have this app called Our Family Wizard. I go on there, I read it to make sure, sometimes I tell the clients in really high conflict before you send something, let me look at it. So we do all of that work for them. And sometimes we have our clients that come to the office and they're smiling. And I'm like, why are you smiling? You're not supposed to smile. You're supposed to be miserable. And they're like, it's because of you and your staff, you know, and they're smiling like you are right now. And so like we read this book and and now we're letting other people know. Now, like the best way to heal yourself is to help somebody else. right? Right. So all that to say that they go from captivity under the sum of this toxic individual into becoming a survivor and so i can testify 100 percent that my husband is a survivor of this narcissistic abuse that he endured for uh wow uh 13 years you know post post divorce of 14 years married 13 years post divorce so that's a long time that's over 20 something years and so um all that to say that they're survivors. You know, these are some people wanted to take their own life, right? Yeah. Wanted yeah. to commit suicide. And we hear about that all the time. So um, they're now a survivor and they will never be able to unknow what they've learned. Yes. So like you said in, originally in the beginning, now you know and you know. And so I tell them, go start an anonymous, you know, blog or, or you know, Instagram or help other people. And, and once the divorce is final... They can start showing their face, but not before. Um, and so that's you got my whole story. You got my whole story there, kid. That's me too. <laughs> Start a podcast. Don't show your face. Yeah. So um, we we're actually friends with um, um, John from male a male um, male victims of female narcissists, and yep. he, you know he hasn't been able to show his face until recently because of the same issue. So we really know what we're talking about. We're, we're zealous advocates for our clients. Our clients love us. Like people, like divorce attorneys are usually miserable because they have like narcissistic clients and sociopathic clients. They don't even know it. And they're advocating for them. We don't do that. We take on the sweetie pies and we, we, we bring justice to the courtroom. And, you know, I take it personally and, um, you know, I want to make sure that we beat the narcissist at the. Oh yeah. And that's what all the listeners want too. I mean, you can tell this is so near and dear to your heart. And I really appreciate you doing this episode with us. Tell the listeners um, where we can find you. Tell you tell us about your website, your book, your social media, all that kind of stuff. Where can the listeners find you? Yeah, so um, jafarilegal.com, J-A-F-A-R-I, 
L-E-G-A-L.com. JafariLegal.com is our website. We are on um, Instagram, YouTube, um, TikTok. Oh my gosh, the TikTok viewership is hilarious. <laughs> they come for me about everything. Um, you know, they call me old. I'm like, I'm not old. Okay. <laughs> and they don't like the scarf I wear. I'm like, okay, I'll take it off. But we have a whole um, social media team that deals with, you know, everything. So really we're here to educate. Um, the book is probably coming out next year, but we're here to educate people. We're, we want to be a vessel of, you know, education and change and healing. Um, you are not alone. We tell our clients this all the time. You are not alone. We, we believe in you. We just have to get all the documentation in place to make the, the judge believe in us. And so, um, but we have a good, I have a good reputation in Los Angeles and um, Orange County, Ven, uh, Ventura County, uh, where our office is located. Also Riverside. Um, we know the judges. Um, we've been doing this for a long time. So um, yeah, usually people that call us want to hire us because they've heard um, me speak before, but you know, we don't accept every client because we definitely don't want the we don't want to represent the narcissist. Only the sweetie pies, right? Only the sweetie pies. <laughs> and I have to give credit to Chris and Lisa for saying that. So um, been there, got out, they get the credit for, for coming up with that. Because as soon as I heard that, it was like an aha moment. I'm like, that's who I represent. And good people. Totally. And shout out to your assistant, Sherry, who has been in communication with me too. Sherry, thank you so much for putting us in touch with... Uh, Attorney Padita Jafari, and this has been an awesome episode. I really appreciate you coming on here, and hopefully we get to meet up in New York in the next couple of weeks. Okay, sounds good, Max. Thank you so much, and thank you for um, your viewers for, for listening, and if there's anything that we could be of service to them, please have them reach out. Hell yeah, get you get you an attorney who knows about narcissism. All right, well, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, until next time, everybody.